said, we are starting a new series today from the book of Colossians. If you want to turn to Colossians, it's on page 1182 in these Bibles. If you haven't got a Bible, grab one there from the shelves. Maybe people on the end of rows would like to hand them out. That'd be helpful. read the first couple of verses while you're finding your place. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. Okay, a little bit of background. Colossae was a relatively unimportant city, if you turn to the, if you've got one of these Bibles, you turn to the back cover, there's a, a map of Paul's missionary journeys, and you'll see Colossae, which is uh, in what we think of now as Turkey. If you can find Asia and Lycia, it's between the two of those. And um, not a particularly important place. Some of Paul's, the letters that Paul wrote were to major churches in major cities. Of course, he wrote letters to the church in Rome, and he wrote a couple of letters to the church in Corinth. Those were really significant, big, important cities. Uh, Colossae wasn't like that, a much, much less kind of culturally and politically important place. But, you know, God cares about all kinds of different towns and cities and villages. And uh, we don't think that Paul even ever went to Colossae himself personally. There's no mention of Colossae in the book of Acts, uh, no indication that he ever actually went there. It's most likely that the church in Colossae was started by somebody else, a, a, a character called Epaphras, who we'll meet as we work through this letter. And it's most likely that Epaphras came to faith when the Apostle Paul was preaching in Ephesus, which is about 120 miles west of Colossae. And probably Epaphras turned up in Ephesus on business or something. He heard Paul preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He responded in faith. And then he went back home to Colossae and started a church. And, you know, that's great. We're all about... Uh, starting churches here. Last Sunday we announced about Ian and Lindsay, going to be sent off in a year's time to start a new church in, in Glasgow. And uh, we love new churches getting started. That's what's happening here in the New Testament. It's what's happening now 2,000 years on, and we're, we love to be part of it. There's some other things that we know about this letter. We know that Paul was in prison as he wrote it. He talks about being in chains. There's a few letters that we have in the New Testament written by Paul, which were written while he was in prison. We, we're not 100% sure which prison he was in. Uh, prison was not an entirely unfamiliar place to Paul, and there were a few possible locations he might have been. The most likely is that he was in Rome, and this is probably about the year AD 60, AD 61. So just a very short time, really, after the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. So Paul in prison, probably in Rome, probably about AD 60, writing a letter to the church in Colossae, writing a letter because Epaphras has come to see him because Epaphras is concerned about some teaching that is starting to bubbling up amongst the believers in Colossae. And Epaphras comes to Paul to find out from Paul how they should address this, how they should deal with what this, this, this kind of false teaching that is beginning to bubble up in the church. And then another character called Tychicus takes the letter back to Colossae, where it would have been read in the church and taught through and would have shaped how that church thought and operated and helped them in their gospel call in the city of Colossae. We're also going to be looking at another letter over the next seven weeks as we 
go through this series. That's the letter of Philemon. It's a little bit further on. It's on page 1200 in these Bibles. It's a short little letter, and it was written at the same time as this letter to the Colossians, because it's written to Philemon, who's part of the church in Colossae. And this is a much more personal, a very pastoral letter. There's a situation that's arisen where Philemon has what we think of as a slave called Onesimus, and Onesimus has ended up coming to where Paul is, and Paul writes to Philemon to talk with him about how he should now regard this man Onesimus. And it's a beautiful example of a pastoral letter, and helpful for us in thinking about how you handle difficult pastoral and relational situations in the church. You can imagine this situation, Philemon the master, Onesimus the slave, they've both come to faith in Jesus Christ. What does that now mean for their relationship? It's an important question, it's a tricky issue. And the letter of Philemon helps us to think about how we can deal with tricky pastoral issues as well. So we're planning to spend seven weeks looking at seven themes from the letters to Colossians and Philemon. And as well as what we're doing here on Sundays, as you came in, you should have got one of these Colossians books, if you didn't grab one before you go. These are written by a friend of mine called Terran Williams, who's a pastor at Common Ground Church in Cape Town. Last week we had Ryan Termoyshazen, 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 Hazen, Amazing Hazen, uh, with us, who's a pastor at Common Ground, and so they're from they're, they work together, they're close friends, and uh, Terran wrote this for the church in Common Ground, and was happy for us to have it as well, so they're serving us. So this is divided into seven weeks, uh, five sections per week, and what I'd encourage you to do is over the next seven weeks to work your way through the letter to the Colossians, uh, reading this to help you. It's just a couple of pages each day, five days a week, uh, two, days, two days off a week or two days to catch up. It will help you to understand more about what the letter is about and apply from it what God has for us. And this will also form the basis of what we're discussing in our life group. So you'll need one of these anyway for when you're talking together in your life groups. Is that all okay? All clear? Know where we're going? Right, let me pray. The theme today is prayer. So let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Thank you for this letter written by a particular individual in a particular situation, a particular circumstance. The Apostle Paul in chains particular place, probably Rome, a concrete period in history, to a definite group of people in a bit of a backwater town in the Roman Empire. Thank you for what this letter must have meant to them as they received it. And I pray for us here in Paul and Bournemouth, I pray that we might receive from it as well. I pray that the word of God would be living and active in our hearts as we study this letter and as we look at the letter to Philemon as well, I pray that you would work things in us. And I pray that today, as we think about the theme of prayer, that you would stir in us faith to pray and desire to pray and a prayerfulness that we might be a praying community who know what it is to be in communion with God and to see God moving in power in our situation. Amen. Let's carry on reading verse 3 of chapter 1. Paul says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven 
and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then just turn over to chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. First thing, pray big prayers. Look at what Paul prays for this church and look at what he describes them as having entered into. He says that they have hope stored up in heaven. The hope we have stored up in heaven is not a small and a miserly thing. Heaven is not a small and miserly place. There is a great hope stored up for us in heaven. There's something big, something large. Our hope in Christ is vast. It's not weak, it's not small, it's not shallow, it is enormous, it's deep, it's wonderful, it's rich. We have hope stored up in heaven. He says the gospel is growing throughout the world. That was the case then, nearly 2,000 years ago. It's even more the case now. The gospel is growing throughout the world. Hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people are responding to the gospel of the grace of God and Jesus Christ every year in our world. Multitudes of people are coming to know him. The gospel is growing. The gospel is not a small thing. The gospel is a vast, globe-spanning thing. The Church of Jesus Christ is the largest organization the world has ever known, stretching on every continent, every nation, touching all kinds of people. The gospel is not small. The gospel is vast. He prays that they might be strengthened with all the power that is available, the mighty power of God's working. When we come to God, when we come to pray, we're not asking for kind of a little watch battery to be plugged into us just to give us enough kind of energy to spark up a little bit. No, we're, we're tapping into the mighty power of God. It's not like a little watch battery. It's like you've been plugged into a nuclear power station. There's power for us in God. It's not small, it's large. He says that we are inheriting the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, God's rule. God 
rules and will rule over all things. One day we will see the rule of God established over all the nations and all the peoples of the world, over the whole universe, the vastness of the universe. And the scripture tells us that we who know Jesus will reign with Christ. He will reign over all things and we will reign with him. We're united with him. We're part of his body. Our inheritance is not just a few thousand quid when some aunt dies. Now our inheritance is the vastest of the universe that is ours in Christ Jesus. This is not small, this is big. We have been rescued, he says. We have redemption. You come in faith to Jesus Christ, you get rescued, you get redeemed. That's not a small thing. It's not just a little transaction, a minor financial detail on a spreadsheet. No, this is a life-changing thing that happens to us. You get taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. You get rescued from death and brought into life. This is no small, mean thing. This is vast. This is life-changing. This is globe-changing. This is big. And so our prayers should be large, not small. Big, not insipid. Now, I think some of the problem we can have is that when we come to pray, so often we're praying on the basis of how we feel about ourselves. And the reality is that we are small and we are insignificant. And we come and pray and we might think about our smallness and our insignificance, about what a tiny speck we seem to be on the vastness of the planet amongst six billion people or however many people it is now. And who are we? And we pray on that basis. And so our prayers get very shrunk, very small, very insipid. We pray little prayers because we're praying on the basis of who we are. But rather than praying on the basis of who we are, we need to pray on the basis of who Jesus is. And Jesus is not small, and Jesus is not insignificant. Jesus is the great Savior and King of kings and Lord of lords. And so when we come to pray, we shouldn't pray on the basis of who I am. I pray on the basis of who He is. And that enlarges prayer. It makes it big. It makes it not small. It makes it non-insipid. It makes it global in scope and powerful in reach because prayer is about engaging with God and so we need to scale our prayers up our prayers need to measure more of the vastness of God rather than the smallness of ourselves pray big the second thing we're to do is to pray in the spirit look what Paul says here second half of verse 9 we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We should pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should keep asking God to fill us. We keep asking God to, for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to have our sails trimmed to the breath of God. Jesus said that he'd put out streams of living water, speaking of the Spirit who was to come. Jesus said that if we drank of this living water, we'd never thirst again. That means we need to keep coming and keep drinking and keep having our sails filled and keep diving into the river of God's presence. We need to keep saying, Spirit of God, we're looking for you to fill us again, baptize us again, refresh us again, so that we might pray. And then we pray as filled people. We pray as people who have received the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit poured out on his church. We pray not only in our own strength, we pray by the leading, the empowering, the filling, the presence of God through his Holy Spirit worked out in us. And this means that we can pray like Paul does here, with knowledge and wisdom and understanding and fruitfully and strongly and powerfully and mightily and enduringly and patiently and joyfully. 
We need to have an expectation of the Spirit of God filling us. And pray, Spirit-filled, Spirit-inspired, Spirit-led prayers. This has a direct impact upon what we do when we gather like this on a Sunday morning. And there's a uh, slight change practically in how we do things, which I just want to talk through, that as we as elders have been talking about this, how we want to kind of step up in what it means to be a Spirit-filled people, being led by the Spirit, how that affects how we pray and contribute and prophesy. There's something practical that we want to do. Uh, you might have noticed here, this is, let me introduce you, this is Ministry Mike. Hello, Mike. And uh, what our plan is, we'll try this for a while, see how it works. If it doesn't work, we'll go back to how we normally do things. But we've just felt that we wanted to have a Ministry Mike with us on Sundays. Uh, one thing is a practical reason that even though we're a small congregation and it's not a big room, that even in a room like this, sometimes it's hard to hear people when you contribute. Unless you've got a very loud, clear voice, uh, it can be difficult for people in the congregation to hear what it is you're bringing when you contribute. So there's a practical dimension that we would, uh, like those who feel prompted by God to bring something, an encouragement, a prayer, a scripture, a prophecy, a word of knowledge, to come and use the mic. Come and just have a quick word of the person who's hosting the meeting. This morning, that's Ian and Lindsay. And uh, use the mic, and that means that everybody will be able to hear you better than might otherwise be the case. So there's a practical reason, but there's also a kind of a, a spiritual component to this that we've, we felt that actually having the mic here as a physical thing would be, it's a kind of a, a visual aid to us, that we are expecting God to speak. But it's not just when one of us stands at the front and speaks, as I'm now doing. It's not just down to us, but actually God speaks through his people. God is present with his people. The Spirit fills his people. And so we expect the Spirit of God to lead his people and bring in prayers and words of encouragement and scriptures to read and prophecies which reveal. And so we felt that having a ministry mic would help visualize that, that our expectation is that as we gather, God is going to speak. And this is a visual aid to remind us of that. So over the next few weeks, we'll be trying this. So I'd encourage you, if you suddenly get overwhelmed and just lead out from where you are, we're not going to say, how dare you pray from where you are. But we'd encourage you to come and use the mic. Uh, just have a word with the person who's hosting the meeting. And for us to have expectation that God wants to speak to us because he fills us with his spirit. And we pray spirit-filled prayers. Does that make sense? Third thing is that then we're to pray boldly. When you read here how Paul prays, how he's praying for the Colossians, you don't get the sense that he's inhibited. And inhibition does kill prayer. And the really interesting thing about this is that Paul had reason to be inhibited because Paul is chained. That's what he says there in chapter 4, that he's chained, he's a prisoner. Held in a prison somewhere, probably in Rome. Has no particular freedoms. He's a captive. He's captive, but he's not inhibited. And he prays with incredible boldness, with incredible freedom. And we need to pray with freedom. We need to pray with boldness. And this isn't just a question of what kind of personality type, that it's easier for extroverts and less easy for introverts. That's not what it's about. It's about those of us who know Christ and are filled with the Spirit having a freedom to pray boldly before him and boldly to him. There are big things we're looking for God to do amongst us. 
And if we're to see God doing big things amongst us, we need to have a freedom to come and make bold requests of God and pray boldly before him. What we're doing with the 2020 vision as we seek over the next three years to raise hundreds of thousands of pounds, and it is hundreds of thousands that we need to raise, how are we going to do that if we're inhibited? We need to be bold. And our boldness in this will come from praying boldly and asking God to open up the floodgates of heaven and provide us what we need. We need to pray boldly. We're, we're praying for more people to join us. I want to see every chair in this room filled. I want to see us having to start other meetings because there isn't enough space to get the people in. If that's going to happen, we need to pray boldly. God, would you bring people amongst us? Would you cause the gospel to grow here as it's growing around the world? And if we pray inhibited prayers, we're going to be inhibited in all that we do. We need to pray with freedom and with boldness, just as the apostle did. Praise God, we're not chained physically. May we not be chained spiritually. Let's be bold in our praying. Fourth thing is that we're to pray with faith and love. See what Paul says about this church. Verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Where does that kind of faith and love come from? Next verse explains it. The faith and love that spring from what? From the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. This is a church which is famous for their faith and for their love and that faith and love springs from the hope they have in the gospel message. It's from the gospel that we understand the grace of God. You understood the gospel fully, you understood, you truly understood God's grace, he says. When you respond to the gospel, when you understand, when you respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, when you grasp hold of the grace of God, when you understand that your standing before God is nothing to do with how good or worthy you are, but all about the goodness and the worthiness of Jesus, which he freely gives to you, shares with you, blesses you with, that causes hope to be birthed in our hearts. And hope produces faith. We believe that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And that causes love to well up on us as well. Love for God, love for Jesus, love for our Heavenly Father, but also love for his people. It has to. Grace, hope, faith, love. If we want to know faith and love, we need to respond to the gospel. We need to receive the grace of God. And then we need to pray as those who have hope, which produces faith, which produces love. We need to have faith that when we pray, our Father in heaven hears us. Apostle Paul here says that he had heard about their faith and love, which sprang from hope in the gospel. Now you can bet that if Paul had heard of their faith and love, God had heard of their faith and love. What a reputation to have. My prayer is that we as a church would have a similar reputation that God would hear of our faith and love. That when the angels in heaven look down upon what goes on in this church, they would say, wow, that's a people who have faith and love and pray like that with faith and with love. That we pray in faith that our Father hears us and we pray in love, we pray in love for God and in love for his people and for the world that he has made. The fifth way to pray is to pray with people who pray. 
Paul tells us here in verse 7 that the church in Colossae had learned the gospel from Epaphras. I guess that when Epaphras went back to Colossae and began to teach the gospel and people responded and the church was formed, I guess he also taught them how to pray. That's what happens when Ian and Lindsay start a church in Glasgow next year. They'll gather people to pray. They'll be teaching the church how to pray as they start the church. That's what happens in church. In church we pray. And the best way to learn how to pray is to get with other people who pray. If you find it difficult to pray, find somebody else who seems to be better at praying than you are and pray with them. Say to them, can I get some time with you? Can we pray together? Help me to pray. Learn how to pray with others who know how to pray. If you can get there on the first Friday prayer meeting, first Friday of the month, we gather at 7 o'clock at Alder Road, in the mo- 7 o'clock in the morning to pray. If you, I know lots of people can't get there because of work and kids and stuff, but if you can get there, and you'll learn how to pray better by praying with others. I pray on my own, but I much prefer praying with other people. It's easier, and the prayers of others stimulate me, and somebody reads a scripture, and God speaks me through that, and that helps me to pray, and I listen to the prayers of others and can join with them, and we pray, we pray together. We pray with people who pray. Sixth thing is to pray with the words. Paul says here that they had heard the gospel message, they'd heard the words, and he, he prays for them to be filled with knowledge. He wants them to know stuff. And the way that we come to know stuff, the way we come to know stuff about God is through his word, this God-breathed, spirit-inspired book, which is so much more than just a book to us. It's not just about where we get to know about God, but it's where we meet God. We meet Jesus through the words of this book. And the, the word feeds our worship and our prayer. It does. It helps us to focus and it inspires contribution, and it stirs faith. I mean, you can take this passage that I'm teaching through this morning, and you can pray it. This would be an excellent thing to do. If you struggle with prayer, get hold of Colossians 1 and turn it into a prayer. We always thank God. I always thank God, my Father, of my Savior, Jesus Christ, when I pray. Lord, may I have faith in Christ Jesus, and may I love your people. Give me more faith and love from the hope I have in the gospel. Turn it into a prayer. The scripture will help you to pray. It will help you to pray with focus. It will help you to pray intelligently. The word of God helps you to distinguish fake news from fact. Want to know what is true, what is pure, what is good? You find it through Jesus, who you encounter through his words. A word inspired by the Spirit of God. And as we pray the word of God, the Spirit in us, God's Spirit in us uh, is quickened by the Word of God, and we're helped to pray and connect with God. Pray with the words of God. Seventh thing to do is to pray with the body. We've already said to pray with people who pray, but there's more to explore about this. We pray with the body. We pray with God's people. Look at how Paul references this. He addresses the letter, verse 2, to God's holy people. He commends them because of their love for people. In verse 12, he says that they're sharing in the uh, kingdom of God with all of God's people. The thing is that when we pray, we're never praying on our own. Even when you are on your own, you're not praying on your own. If you are a Christian, you're never on your own. You can be in a room all by yourself but you're not there by yourself. 
because actually you are connected to Christ. And in Christ, you're connected to his people, his body. That means that there are countless millions of people around the world right, right now who are praying to Jesus. And when we pray, our prayers somehow are connected with theirs. We're praying together. Now, that's an, I find that an incredible help. If I'm struggling to pray, it really helps me to think that around the world, there'll be millions of other people who are praying to Jesus. And somehow I'm praying with them because I'm connected to them through Christ. We're part of the same family. We're part of the same body. And so we pray with others. But we need to deliberately, intentionally do that by coming together with others, by praying with other people, by seeking out the family of God. And when we do that, remember who we're coming to. This morning, as we pray together here, we're not praying to some abstract force out there in the universe somewhere. We're coming to our heavenly Father, the Father of the family of God. That's who we pray to who we pray to together. We pray with the body. There's also a sense in which we're meant to pray with our bodies. Prayer isn't just an intellectual exercise. It's not even just a, what you do with your lips and your tongue. No, there's a sense in which all of us needs to be. The whole of me, the whole of you needs to be engaged in prayer. It'd be a very strange relationship you'd have with somebody if it was only ever words. It's like you have a relationship with somebody only through a computer screen. It can go so far, but you actually need to somehow be physically engaged with somebody to really understand them. There comes a point where you want to take somebody's hand, or you want to give somebody a hug, where you want to engage physically with somebody somehow. And as we pray to God, there's a physicality about it. It's why it can be helpful. What you do with your body can affect how you pray. It's why it can be helpful to kneel. It can be good to stride around, punching the air. It can be good to dance. Our bodies get caught up in prayer. Help us to pray. One of the things, again, that we as elders have been talking about is how we can help us to pray as a body and things that we actually need to be doing in order to pray more effectively as the body of Christ here. And uh, we felt provoked to call the church to a season of regular fasting. I can't remember the last time we actually called the church to fast. It's not something we've done for a, a, a long time. And as we were together talking and praying as elders, we felt this was something that we needed to do for a season. And how we want to do this is that on those first Fridays of the month, when we gather to pray first thing in the morning, we want to call the church to fast. And it might well be that you can't get to Alder Road at 7 o'clock on that Friday morning, but you can still pray. And you can still be caught up in what we're doing as we fast together. Now, let me give you some practical instruction about fasting, of how to do it and why we are doing this. There are different ways in which you can fast. So, a classic fast, the full fast, is that you eat nothing and you drink only water for the period of your fast. That's a full fast. And if you feel that you can do that and want to do that, that's great. There's also a partial fast. This is where you... Don't give up all food and all drink, but you might give up something. You might not have lunch, or you might miss out something that you'd normally have, or you might eat more simply than you normally do, or you might have a particular time. It might be that between sunrise and sundown, you don't eat, and once it gets dark, you have your evening meal. It could be a partial fast, or it might be something specific. It might be that actually 
in your circumstance, maybe for health reasons or because you have a physical job, fasting is just isn't a good idea. But you might give up something else. It might be that you fast from TV or you fast from Facebook or you fast from something else. It's a giving up of something. Normally food, but it can be other things as well. And so on the first Friday of the month, over the next few months, we're going to ask you to fast. And whether that's a full fast or a partial fast or something specific, nobody's going to be checking up on you and seeing what you're doing. This is between you and God. Now, why are we asking you to do that, and what does fasting achieve? First thing I believe that fasting does is that it demonstrates our seriousness. That when we give up something which we would normally have every day, it's a demonstrating before God that we're serious about this. Lord, I'm really serious about engaging with you. I'm really serious about praying. I'm really serious about these things that we're seeking for you to do in our church and in our town. We're serious about this, and so we're going to forego stuff that we normally have, things we normally enjoy, in order to demonstrate the seriousness with which we take this. The second thing is that fasting helps us to focus on what is most important. Food is important. Food is essential. If you don't eat, after a few weeks, you die. But there is something which is even more important than food. And there is certainly something which is more important than Facebook or the TV or whatever else it might be. And when we fast, it's a demonstration. It's helping us to focus on what is most important. Lord, these things are important to me, but there's the bread of life which is more important to me. There's you, there's Jesus Christ, and I want to focus on you with real kind of sharpness. And fasting helps us to do that. Another practical thing is that fasting frees up time. I haven't got time to pray. Well, fasting frees up time because the time that you'd normally take eating a meal, preparing a meal, the time you'd normally take watching TV on Facebook, suddenly that time becomes available. And what do you do with that time? You don't just sit there thinking about how hungry you're feeling because you're fasting. You use that time to pray because time has been freed up. And most importantly, I believe that in some way fasting gets God's attention. Now God always sees us. God knows everything about us. God loves us. But I think there is something about fasting that in the some particular way, some mysterious way, get God's attention because it does help us to focus and because it does show our seriousness and because it frees up our time to deliberately engage with God. And God sees and God hears, God observes. And the reason we're doing this is because we know that we need to see breakthrough. God has blessed us in so many ways and I'm so thrilled by what God has done amongst us here at Gateway. But we are looking for breakthrough. We're looking for gospel breakthrough. We do want not just a trickle of people coming to know Jesus in this place. We want to see something dramatic happen in our town with significant numbers of people coming to faith. I want our church to be comprised of not a few hundred, but many hundreds of people who know Jesus and display his goodness. That's going to take breakthrough. If we're going to get this thing done with what we're hoping to do in our buildings over the next few years, that's going to take probably in the end millions of pounds. How, are we, how on earth are we 
going to raise hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds unless we see God doing something miraculous amongst us. We need breakthrough. And so we feel as elders to call you, us, this church, to a season of prayer and fasting. Don't know how long we'll do this, but the first Friday of the month, beginning Friday week, November the 3rd, I want to ask you to pray and to fast and to seek God for the breakthrough that we need. Eighth thing, almost there, is that we are to pray with devotion. Chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. If you're devoted to something, that means that you love it, you give yourself to it, you don't neglect it. Being watchful and thankful. Be watchful. This means that we're alert to what God is doing. It's a great story. A couple of weeks back, somebody who's part of our congregation at Alder Road was driving home and uh, he saw a, a woman walking along the road and he just felt prompted by God that he ought to engage with her. Now that's a bit odd and could look extremely dodgy. Guy in a car drives up next to a woman and starts talking to her. All kinds of potential problems. But he, so he approached it cautiously, but he just felt prompted by God to speak to her. And as he did so, ended up with a remarkable conversation that she was somebody who'd served God but had some real tragedy in her life. Her husband had left her. But God obviously wanted to connect with her minister his grace to her. Now that, that kind of thing happens as we are alert to what God is doing, as we're watching and listening to how the Spirit is leading. And our prayer needs to be watchful. We don't just pray by babbling out words to God. We, our prayer is also about listening to God, having our eyes open to see what God is doing and being obedient to his leading. Be watchful and be thankful. Our primary posture when we come to God should be one of thankfulness. There's all kinds of stuff in the world and in our lives which is miserable and gloomy and which we can moan and groan about. But our primary posture when we come to God needs to be one of thankfulness. Jesus, you have rescued me. Jesus, you've redeemed me. Jesus, you've brought me out of darkness into light. Jesus, you promised that I, with your people, would inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus, your power is at work in me. Your spirit fills me. Thank you. We come watchful and we come thankful. We come into the courts of God with praise. And the last thing is that we're to pray with mission in mind. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. We need to pray for ourselves, that God will open a door for the message that we proclaim. We need to pray for ourselves, that we proclaim it clearly, which is what we're meant to do. We need to pray that we'd be wise in how we act towards those who don't know Christ. We need to pray that our conversation would be full of grace, that as we speak to people, they would see the grace of God displayed through us. We need to pray that we would know how to answer everyone. The questions that people have, the cynicism that people have about faith, the ridicule some would have about belief in God. We need to pray that we would know how to answer everyone with grace, with our conversations seasoned with salt. We need to pray with mission in mind. We're praying for God to make himself known. We're praying for Christ to be glorified in our town, in our day, through us, his people. Amen? Let's pray. Why don't we stand together? Band will come back. And I'll pray as we do that. Jesus, I do pray for us here. 
at Gateway Church. Lord, I do pray that we would have a reputation of being a people who are full of faith and full of love. I pray that you would help us to pray big prayers, bold prayers, not insipid small prayers, that we would know that we're praying not on the basis of who we are, but on the basis of who you are and what that means for us, what we are becoming, that we are being lifted up out of smallness into, into greatness. Thank you, Lord. Pray that we would pray in the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Pray that we'd be watchful and thankful. Pray that we'd know how to help one another in prayer. Pray that we would know how to take the words of Scripture and pray them and absorb them and receive them and be fed by them and instructed by them so that good things then come out of our mouths to bless other people. And pray that you would help us to be fervent in praying for the mission. Lord, we want to see more people hear the good news of Jesus Christ and respond to this gospel of grace. Just as people in Colossae did when Epaphras went back to them with this good news. Lord, in our town, may people respond to this good news of Jesus Christ as Savior. Help us to pray, Lord. Give us breakthrough. As we pray together, Lord, may we see the breakthrough of God. You providing us with all that we need, the things we're reaching for, which we lack strength for, but you have mighty power to accomplish. Ask these things in your name, King Jesus. Amen.